So thank you, everybody. Welcome to Real Talk with Keith Smith. This is the Monday morning market monitor. Um, for those who are tuning in, you can see that this is not Jerry introing the show uh, today. Jerry, thank God uh, and thankful, is taking uh, a few days off with his family at the beach. And he made the mistake of leaving me alone. So <laughs> here you go. <laughs> see how this goes. So today I'm excited. I've got Matt, Matthias Jan. Is that close? Very close. Cl pretty close. And, and Taylor Everett. Also very close. Also very close. Thank you, Taylor. So we're going to try to have a lot of fun today, but we're going to do something a little bit, little bit different. Um, Alfred, a.k.a. Uh, Judah Whitcower, is going to keep an eye on the feeds because Keith Smith's attention deficit syndrome is not going to be allow him to have a conversation and follow, follow the feeds. Oh, I don't blame you. Yeah, Jerry's just a rock star at that. I, I, when I grow up and become him, I'll be able to do something like that. But um, so if you have if you have any um, any input, you know, you guys are the one who makes this show better and makes me better for sure at what we do. Please chime in. Going to do something a little bit different. Um, Jerry might not like this. I might cringe when I do this. I know Judah just did. But my cell phone number is out there for anybody. So if you want to text me a question, a comment or uh, for one of our guests, or a case study, which we absolutely love here on Real Talk with Keith Smith. Give us a case study. My phone number is 434-531-0795. And Judah, if you wouldn't mind jump, dropping that in some of the feeds. So send me a text, guys. I'm gonna have my phone with me. I can do that. I can manage looking at my text and having a conversation. But we're gonna kick the show off right now by introducing our two rock stars. I'm gonna have uh, Taylor, who's across the street, across the table from me, name, what firm you're with, and how long you've been in the business. Sure, sure. My name is Taylor Averett. I work with Nest Realty, and I'm very quickly coming up on six years as a licensed real estate agent. So that puts you in 2017? Uh, that would be right. 2017. 2017. Yeah. I get the first name right, the rest forget about. Matthias. <laughs> Yeah, my name is Matthias, Matthias Jon. I am with uh, Wiley Real Estate here in Charlottesville, and I just completed my first two years in real estate. So you're, you're, you're starting your third year. Yep, exactly, right now. That's two years and a month. I have practiced real estate before in a different country, but here in Virginia, licensed for two years. What, year, what country was that? Uh, in the Caribbean. I oh, really? sold beach properties in Nicaragua. For Nicaragua, mm -hmm. really? That was my first uh, real estate experience. What well, very different to here. What was it a particular island, or it was in the mainland of Nicaragua? No, so the mainland. The mainland. So yeah. we had a lot of uh, American retirees coming sure. down, looking for beach properties that are still affordable in Central America, depending on where you look. And uh, that's what I did for for a year. I was in Nicaragua back in 85 it was different <laughs> very different time different. very different political landscape too. it was very different mm -hmm. uh, i was doing a very different thing than i am doing now <laughs> back, back back over there so to stay stay on that a little bit so yona and i spent a lot of time in saint martin it's a french the french side of the right. french side of the island uh so I, I did not know that about you tell us something i don't know about you tell me something i don't know about you i know you speak french I know you're working on German. What, what do I? What What do I don't uh, know about you by now? In terms of what? I mean, I'm the tallest person in my family. That's there. You go. There you that's go. a really random dumb fact. Random dumb facts work on real talk with Keith, <laughs> with Keith Smith. So we on the, on the intro, we were talking about the unicorn years, right? From from yeah. you know when COVID started kicking in, you know somewhere around the first quarter of 2020. You know, Jerry and I were always predicting a V recovery, which we did. We ended up with a V recovery. But, you know, this, this term unicorn years is pretty much from that period up until when interest rates started climbing dramatically, right? Doubling from two and a half or three to five or six, which is depending on who you talk to, is somewhere beginning of 2022. So it's about a year and a half or so to yeah, two like years. Yeah, second quarter of last year, right? Yeah, the second quarter of last year is when they really hit the double, but they started creeping up up a little bit, and then everybody said, well, it's never going to get higher than four. Oops, now it's five. It's <laughs> never going to get higher than five. It got six. Mm -hmm. So from your guys' perspective, and just jump in, what is it like to work in that environment and now have to pivot? 
Talk about what, what's going on in your real estate lives and the conversations. So jump, who wants to jump in first? Please. If I may, because I think I was in a unique position. The world around me in real estate was talking about crazy listings, a lot of activity, bidding wars, etc. But remember, I started real estate in uh, June of 2021. So I did not really get to see it as much as, as Taylor or as you did. But, but it's pivoting, though. So you're, you're now in a different world, right? You know, so, so you have to conduct your business a little bit differently, and you're having different conversations with clients. Mm -hmm. So I'm really interested in what those conversations now look like as they did in the unicorn time of, of real estate. Well, it, it is a different market. Um, the, the biggest problem that I see when talking to clients is we always do a comparison. This is how it looked one year ago. This is how it looked two years ago. And it's not necessarily helpful when looking at the, the present, the present day market and how to engage in that market. I think all of us, we learned our lessons um, during those unicorn years and now we are pivoting a little bit. Um, as we are talking to lenders about interest rates, and, and obviously there are a lot of conversations that our buyers have with lenders, um, are the rates coming down? Are they, are they going up again? Uh, will it be stagnant where we are right now? You know, it's an interesting time to look at that. And what I find the most interesting to, um, to talk with clients about um, as they are talking to their lenders is what other options are there? And I think that's something we will talk about more moving forward. Um, alternative financing. We see an uptick in people purchasing with cash, but oh, yeah. not everyone necessarily had that cash to begin with. They just found a way to um, move assets or to borrow money so that they look as if they have cash when going on the contract. It puts them sometimes at an advantage. But at the same time, the majority obviously is working with financing. And this is where I see people becoming more creative. We hear terms like um, mortgage porting, where you can actually sell your existing home, but if you don't want to give up those interesting rates that you had when you purchased, you can sometimes transfer them to the new home. That is fantastic news in my opinion because it means that more people might be willing to sell. So we might be seeing a little bit more inventory. Um, and that's just one example of how the landscape is a little bit changing. That's my observation. Can you agree with that, Taylor? I can, yeah. We're not seeing a significantly beneficial uptick for buyers um, mm -hmm. because the supply is still really? just too low. Um, I mean, if you, if you consider an uptake, four offers you're competing against instead of 13, um, ah. when the rates were three. But I'm Progress. still seeing most of my buyers in competition. Most of them are having to um, write favorable terms for sellers um, still. And the discussions are changing from well, at least this rate is really good to, are you sure you want to do this? Maybe you can get a marginally better equity position because you're not competing against 10 other people and you really need to talk with your lender and hope that they're uh, educated, trustable advisor to give you counsel about where the rates are headed in the future years and what Love you can Scott do. Scott Morris, your trusted, your yeah, trusted Scott advisor. Scott Morris, trusted advisor, that's right. <laughs> trusted advisor <laughs> in that end of it. It's interesting you should, you should say that. So I do an analysis week over week, and my dear friend Jerry Miller taught me how to actually take a picture of it, and, and believe it or not, iPhone tells you what day and time it is, and yeah. I can go back and look at it. So I actually keep these week over weeks for, for some period of time. Mm -hmm. So it's really interesting. Um, so I take a look at the car footprint, um, what came on new, mm -hmm. right? What's going in pending, and what's going in sold. So if you take a look at this same seven days going back from today 
versus a year ago, we are down 52% yeah. in new, new, new listings. We're also down in 60% in pendings. But it's interesting, the solds are, thank you, thank you, Judah, the solds are flat. Yeah. Explain mm -hmm. that. Explain what that means, right? So I, I, I love somebody else other than Keith Smith to explain, well, how do you get 52%? Now, this is just a one-week snapshot. Yeah. And how does the sales volume stay the same? Make some sense out of that, gentlemen. I guess it could be closing time frames. I've, I've been actually looking at this, trying to decide, figure that out mm -hmm. myself. Yeah, yeah. It's yeah. an interesting because one would think, right, if the units are lower on the yeah. market and all that stuff, why is that? And it could be... It could be new construction turnaround times in there somewhere. It, it, could, it could be. This is yeah. a complete... Um, uh, this is a complete everything in the market. Everything from right. condos to single-family detached, attached, and so forth and so oh, on. We could have had a week where the rates took a small dip and people made a panic buy at that time. I'm not exactly but sure. But it's really interesting. So if I go back and look week over week over week, yeah. the percentage of actual closings are not really dropping. So I think, I think what's going on, and Matthias, jump in, please. Um, it's the length of closing time is taking mm -hmm. a little bit yeah. longer yeah. than normal, and that's the reason. Because these sales have happened two months, one month ago. Are you seeing that? Mm -hmm. Yeah, let's keep in mind that, at least that's my observation, that we are under contract longer um, before we finish to the closing line. That probably has to do with lenders needing more time because we have a fluctuation in the rates, and then some buyers no longer qualify for that particular loan. Maybe they have to switch while under contract. I'm not sure. But I, I wonder, yeah. and I think you touched on good that point. a little bit, That's Taylor, point, yeah. if it also has to do with new construction yeah. that people went under contract last year and they just closed. Well, yeah. In, in my case, yeah, I have a few buyers that, yeah. that closed on new construction that they started on last year. Well, so, prior to COVID, you could get a five-month turnaround on some new constructions. And mm -hmm. then as soon as the pandemic hit, the supply chains just got obliterated. Yeah. And that five-month turnaround between supply and sometimes uh, pre-sales with, uh, without county approval and county approval for things getting slowed down sometimes got stretched out to 18 months for the same property. And so we could be seeing a rebound as supply chains improve to shorter under contract time frames and faster construction time frames for new builds. Well, builders but that's are not completely speculation. So but it's really not that speculation because we, we deal with sellers every day. Yeah. And I can tell you in our business, particularly at a certain price point, right? You know, something above median sales price, right? Buyers are just preferring to go to new construction because I can't find what I want to buy. Now I, I happen to think that timeline is pretty limited. I think we're getting to an absorption rate of, of, of saturation rate, actually, because there's just simply no new construction yeah. coming, new new lots and coming on. But are you guys seeing, um, uh, you know, some of certain price points deciding, well, the heck with this, I'm going to go into new construction? Because you mentioned you have a couple of them, Matthias. Correct. Well, if inventory is limited, um, you start exploring other options, and um, I've seen several people entertain new construction as the alternative for them. You know, if you had to summarize what buyers are looking for, one of the main criterions these days that I hear is we want to be close to Charlesville, but we also want to have two acres at least and we want a modern home, etc. And oftentimes you don't find this ideal home, at least not existing. And so more and more people are actually entertaining the idea of purchasing tract of land at an affordable price. Yeah. And man, that, that's almost as hard to find, Matthias, and, and to shout out to Jerry. He posted something on Twitter, and yeah. you can just take a look at There's just nothing available. That's actually harder to find than it is... That's the difficulty, yeah. To I think there are only two lots right now for sale in, correct, in Albemarle yeah. County. And, um, and even if, if you agree with that particular lot, are you willing to pay the price? Because it's still Albemarle County. That, well, that's, a, that's a very expensive proposition. 
Yeah. Much more than that. Yeah. The price is one thing. Can you find a builder? So I'm a recovering yeah. developer and builder, right? right? You know, mm-hmm. um, you're a contractor. I'm Still. a recovering developer and builder. Mm-hmm. I'm on. Sometimes I think I'm on my tenth step, but maybe I'm really only on my first step <laughs> of my recovery on it. Um, but that, you know, it's funny because on Wednesday we're going to have a roundtable discussion on Fulvana County. I've got Chris Fairchild coming in, Woody Fincham, and Scott Morris, and we're going to talk about you know the perspective of bringing more housing to certain jurisdictions and why folks are against it and for it and have this kind of roundtable discussion about it. But the reality of it is it's harder than heck Mm -hmm. to find something. And then all these builders that were in it, a.k.a. me, we just got out. There's there's no way in God's holy name I'm ever going to get back into that that business. It's just because it's a tough business to, to get into it. There's, there's a few considerations back to the point about new construction a little bit. Um, for some buyers, the majority of new construction buyers, at least that I deal with, they're not buying attractive land and they are and building a, a nice custom home. And there's generally a price minimum that a builder will require, and it's it's pretty high. It's it's a it's not a entry level price point, or, and in some cases, it's not even an above average. You know, let's, let's just call it like it is. New yeah. construction in Albemarle County, custom new construction, yeah. it's going to have a, a minimum it's a, it's of a, a one in front of it. Purchase, yeah. <laughs> at least, at so, least so. so for the majority of folks buying new construction, there's a trade-off. There's, you're going to get a smaller lot on average than you would buying a resale home of the same price if you buy an older resale home. And I, mm-hmm. I'll use my own home as an example. It's a 1960s brick ranch home in the city. It's not a castle. It's less than... The majority of new construction probably mm-hmm. i haven't run the numbers of my own home lately but uh i probably i have a third of an acre with a huge in the city. In backyard oh, in the city mm-hmm. whereas if i were to go buy i could go buy an eight hundred thousand dollar new construction home and touch my neighbor's house out the side so mm-hmm. if i'm a buyer i have to weigh the fact that i'm not going to maybe get the pastoral land or even the just normal amount of land that came through the other side of that is I'm not necessarily in competition the way I would be if I was in a resale home, and I can have more favorable terms. If a house is desirable and it has multiple offers, I'm seeing a lot of buyers waive home inspections. They're putting appraisal gaps. If the home doesn't appraise, they're, they're agreeing to pay the difference in the price, even still in this rate environment. And so if I buy new construction, I can have a home inspection. I can make sure everything is fixed. I can go through for a pre-drywall walkthrough, see behind my walls, I know what I'm getting into. Um, Plus, you get to pick your stuff. You get to pick your stuff. Right? You yeah. know, I want this color this, I want this right. color yeah. that, I want I want shag carpet, seafoam green toilets, you know, right. 1970s stuff yeah. all over again. There's there's not a kick out where they say, well, we put you under contract at X, but someone's outbidding you today, we're going to keep yeah. your contract That's out. correct. So it's, it's a safer proposition, it's a more constrained proposition in some respects, but I think that uh, you know people have to understand their trade-offs when making those decisions. I can tell you, in our business, for the last six to twelve months, we've seen a tremendous amount of uptick in commercial. Excuse me, uh, new construction. Actually, commercial is something else in my head. I have to get out of here in a minute. Yeah. But uh, but yeah, from new construction, because of this very reason, I can't find what I want. Yeah. at the price point that I wanted at. Mm-hmm. I'd rather pay a little bit more money, right. get yeah. the custom features or get the get the benefits or the amenities that I want and then kind, kind of move on. But starting off in the conversation earlier, guys, um, so the kitchen table, right? That's where we sit down and we talk to people, right? So what does that conversation look now from your guys' perspective? Because particularly you, Matthias, you just came from, you know, full out, 110 miles an hour so maybe not so much and how do you navigate my concerns at at the kitchen table because look at the end of the day rates are rates money's money it's about helping me feel comfortable about moving that decision moving making that decision to move forward so tell me what that looks like from your perspective and you are talking about the the buyer buyer seller whichever whichever you feel like talking about you know, when we have this kitchen table conversation, um, it's it's not always a very fun conversation because the truth can can be oh, yeah. hurtful sometimes. And for some people, it means that they have to 
widen the area they are looking at. Mm -hmm. And this is not specific to new construction, just because there's you know land available for sale in Waynesboro, and you can at an affordable price build there. It just generally speaking, we are looking at the bad communities. You are big in Fluvanna County, right? I I just been there for 37, 35 years. So. You live at Lake Monticello, yeah, yeah. right? Um, but we have conversations about Nelson County. Not much available there. No. But, and the big but is, you have Augusta County, you have Waynesboro. Waynesboro is experiencing a huge growth. We have a lot of affordable new construction coming on the market in Waynesboro, and it's 30 minutes driving distance to Charlottesville. So all of a sudden, places like Waynesboro, places like Spring Creek and Zion Crossroads, are becoming more a topic for people at this conversation at the kitchen table. Um, you mentioned earlier trade-offs. Yeah, we talk a lot about trade-offs. What are the priorities here? If you are looking to purchase in Charlottesville, what are you willing to compromise? Mm -hmm. You mentioned you can see the neighbor looking out the, the kitchen window. Sometimes you can even have a conversation with them. That's how close you, um, you might live to each other. But what other trade-offs are there? That's simply a conversation we need to have yeah. with our people. And then another big factor, and we talk about this every day, is appreciation. We mm -hmm. see rising home values in Charlottesville. Um, it's becoming a problem for people that would not have had that problem just four years ago. And at 7% interest rate. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Right? And, and yeah. so I, I, uh, Judah is going to put on Real Talk with Keith Smith under, under the market reports. I, I do quarterly, monthly reports, and I'm actually going to put up for each one of the jurisdictions that is in the car footprint to include the other side of the mountain, and Buckingham, right? Because we want to start looking at what's happening out yeah. in the outer areas on what's happening in the market as far as number of units sold and price. But I, I kind of reduced it to one slide and the percentage difference. And, it, and it's really interesting. The city of Charlottesville, first seven months of this year versus last year is up 4%. Albemarle County, now this is very specific. Single family, thank you, Judah. Single family detached, right? So I, I look, just to, so everybody understands this, I look at single-family detached only because it's consistent amongst the all jurisdictions, right? We're looking at the same type of product type. Albemarle County is where most of the attached products go. Mm -hmm. You don't see anything in green in Fulvana. So I focus on that, and I pull out new construction for the same conversation mm -hmm. we're talking about. But it's interesting. When I did the numbers, when Jerry and I did the numbers for the end of the six months, Albemarle County was actually down 2%. Mm -hmm. Guess what it is now? It's flat. So it just picked up in one month 2%. And we were talking about, we were predicting that that was going to happen. Um, you know, as we start looking through the different green counties up 5%, Nelson County, Wintergreen, believe it or not, is up 10%. Nelson County without Wintergreen is flat. Fulvana County, Lake Monticello is up 5%. Fulvana without the lake is up 5%. Louise is up 3%. The, the big loser here is Buckingham. Yeah. Buckingham is down 13% yeah. on it. And then we go through Augusta, Waynesboro, and, and, and Staunton, and they're between 2, 5, and 6. So basically, we're averaging somewhere between 4 to 6%, which I see we're going to be tracking for the rest of this, this year. We've got to put the outlier of Buckingham out there. Is that what you guys seeing out in, in, in the real world? And what's up? What's the what with that? We've this got seven percent in prices is, still going. This is, this is pricing. This is pricing. Yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. Volume is a very different story. Yeah, volume is very, very, very different. Oh yeah, that's I'm seeing that. What, what do you what do you, what do you, what do you make of that, my friend? Uh, supply and demand. <laughs> I was on the news last week. They had a, a minor misquote of me, but um, so let's correct. <laughs> but it. Also very appreciative. Um, the the rates have negatively impacted one qualification and two, the amount of people who are in the market. But what I discussed on the news was something called the lock-in effect or, or kind of what I believe that you guys refer to here as dead inventory, where 
I'm not making elective purchases anymore or um, vanity purchases or um, lateral moves in the marketplace. I'm moving because I have to. And so even though demand has taken a hit because the rates have killed some of the demand and it's destroyed a lot of people's purchasing power is in the lower price points, the supply is just completely dried up because people do not have the option to make an elective move or a, or a uh, quality of life move or whatever. I couldn't buy my house back from myself mm-hmm. without probably significantly negatively impacting my equity. I mean, well, I would end up paying well over $100,000 more than I paid just a few years for it, and I would triple my interest rate for the same house. I'm not going to go – it's not like I'm spending a nec- the next market segment up and moving into a significantly nicer house. I would have to buy a significantly less nice home for the price. Smaller square footage, less features, less conditions. That's exactly right. For the maybe price not in the pay. right location. That's exactly To right. make up that delta That's right. Right, between where, where you're at now and there. Right. But so the but choice we, is I'm not going to move, which means supply is down. So even though demand is down, supply is down at a higher rate. There's also extremely limited supply in the city to begin with or in the surrounding county. And even though both of those curves have moved down on the axis, they haven't moved. They haven't shifted in how they've balanced on the axis. Are they ever going to shift? Huh? Are they ever going to shift? Are we going to get? Are we going to get this back into some sort of balance? We'll see increased supply when rates get down to a point where people can reason themselves. I think right now they're high. Everything is just references, right? Once they go, once people feel seven for long enough, seven becomes a new normal. And then when seven hits five. People can reason themselves into five in a way they couldn't reason themselves into five when the rates were at three. I agree, 100%. Mm-hmm. What do you think, Matthias? Well, I think we, we always talk about it being a seller's market. We talk about um, sellers having the power. In addition to that, um, what we're seeing is those that are considering to put their home on the market that would positively contribute to our low inventory problem they know that they have the power. They test the waters, and they want to make that decision worth their time. So they are in this unique position to ask more. So it does have an impact immediately. And I'm going to push back a little bit, Matthias, because that's what we do here, and I love to push back a, a, a little bit. Um, price matters. It will always matter. Mm-hmm. Right, and and I feel what's happening with the sellers is they've kind of got their wake up call. Right, they realize they can't, and that happened maybe about six months ago, eight months ago. They were like, okay, six months ago it was a twenty percent or twelve percent or fifteen percent year over year increase. I think the fact that we're closer to four to six percent increase year over year, sellers are starting to realize that. My experience has been from doing this for three and a half decades. Buyers react really fast to the marketplace. Sellers react much slower to that. I think the sellers are starting to catch up uh, because price matters. You know, you don't want to put a house, mm-hmm. you know what this price of this home needs to be. You don't want to put it on over the market value, right? What does that do? So I agree with you, but I want to make a distinction between um, urban Inventory oh, yeah. in compare it to what is happening just 30 or 45 minutes into the country. Um, it's a very different situation. Would you agree? Um, sellers that, that we are working with as a firm, and we, we do a lot of land and, and farms and so on, they should change their mindset a little bit, but are a little bit slow in realizing how the changes might affect them in their process of selling their property very different if when you are in Charlottesville. So there, there I agree with you um, that it's a changing market. So, re- re- and, and I've said this uh, so many times, I actually say it in my sleep, uh, real estate says six things, location, and each location has micro locations mm-hmm. within mm-hmm. them. Price always matters. Features, conditions, right? What is, am I looking for a primary suite on the main level because I'm old, right? Let's face it, that's where I'm at. Uh, you know, condition. I also don't want to. I don't want to install a new heat pump and all that kind of great stuff. Timing is always everything, and something that gets me into a little bit of trouble. 
who's on the other side matters. You know, when, when I'm doing a deal with you guys on the other side, I know you guys are pros, and we're going to work through the issues to get there because there's, there's always issues. But you're spot on. The micro-location matters because certain parts of Charlottesville are always do, are do well. Certain parts of Charlottesville may be a little bit slower. You know, you're looking at days on market that mm-hmm. some areas are trying, or God forbid, it goes into 20 or 2025. 20, right. That's one of the changes between now and, let's call it two years ago, is that when the rates were three, you could throw a cardboard box with a potted plant in the front yard on the market and get 10% over the asking price. And if an agent had a heartbeat, they could do a deal. Yeah, that's right. right. Now, what you're seeing is um, the things worth having are still, the things worth having, I use that in liberal terms, the, the homes that show well and are rare High, regardless of market conditions in elastic, uh, those goods are still selling like that. You're starting to see some of the things that in years past, when I first started working in real estate, sitting on the market long would sit on the market longer. Those are starting to revert back, not anywhere near the same amount of days on market, but we're seeing slower, slower uh, lifespan or, or longer lifespans to going under contract on some of those things. So let's talk about what matrix you two guys follow to see where the market's going. I have a very specific matrix that I that I follow. Yeah. But what, what do you guys follow to see, okay, the market is going a little bit this way or that way? One particular me- metrics that you guys follow. Uh, well, when I'm listing houses, I try, I, and when I'm, really I'm, I kind of follow the offers, quantity of offers. Okay. And then I use, um, I've done this long enough, to where I just kind of have like a, Undefinable, innate heuristic. Uh, I call it the you know just kind of a gut feeling where you can, if you if you take experiential data across the years in various micro markets and then you observe them all accelerate to essentially being a uniform market as just an in-demand real estate market, and then watch them selectively decelerate to revert back to normal. You kind of get a feeling after doing this for so many years of. Of where the market is headed, and just and also just reading the homes reports can give you an idea. Like your data here, synthesized, you know, various people release reports. Um, some of those can be misleading if they're statewide; they're not always the most applicable. Yeah, that's the um, reason I really hone yeah. in on the the local, 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 local stats because that's what really you know, it's like politics, right? Mm-hmm. All politics is local. Yeah, all real estate is local, and it's local from street to street. What do you yeah. think about this? I agree with Taylor, and I would simply add on that it also makes sense to look at big land purchases and what are developers doing? Where are the builders offering new construction? Because oftentimes it comes or it comes hand in hand with um, a set of amenities. And if you have infrastructure in place, um, amenities, restaurants, um, more more development will come or is likely to come. And that oftentimes has an impact on the conversation that we have with people. So that's why this conversation on Wednesday is going to be so important, right? Um, Right. This world I know well. And, um, you know, I I hate to be the Debbie Downer here at the table, uh, but uh, I don't see a lot of inventory coming in in the foreseeable future from a new construction, a new development Mm -hmm. thing. And, and why is that? Okay, back in the time of great unpleasantness, I would do like a 10-unit, 20-unit, 30-unit project, right? I, I, would, I would fill this niche of these small to median, somewhere between zero and, say, 100, 150, that kind of thing, mm-hmm. right? Right now, that, that developer builder really doesn't exist anymore yeah. because they just lost $17 million. That's what happened, mm-hmm. yeah. right? Yeah. Uh, now you have the big guys like Stanley Martin Holmes, which I absolutely love. It's a great sponsor of what we do on the on the show uh, on it. But the, the number of, of entities or people or organizations that can do that is so small, and the, the run-up is six years. You have to have super deep pockets. Mm-hmm. To go ahead. So, gentlemen, I, I don't see this changing. Yeah. I may be wrong. I hope I'm wrong. I hope somebody proves me wrong. Usually not. I'm usually right about stuff like this. I can never be right about that damn lottery, winning lottery ticket <laughs> numbers. But I'm always right about that. Look, I just looked at Lake Monticello. 
So days on market is what I follow. Mm -hmm. I've been following that for 35 years, Mm -hmm. right? And it's really... That's a good metric, too. And it's really interesting. We're at Lake Monticello. Year to date, there was 135 units sold and closed. Homes sold and closed. It's six days is the median days on market. The average is 24. Mm -hmm. I remember... It wasn't too long ago. When you were in your 30s and your 40s, yeah, that was normal. Yeah. So we now have a new DOM normal that we have to track? Or is yeah. there some number out there to say, okay, when we're getting closer to 12, right, mm-hmm. instead of 6, is the market going a different direction? How are we, how are we going to figure this out? And then how are we going to figure this out and convey this to our clients? We have to kind of understand what kind of assets you have. You know, if you have a house in downtown Charlottesville and you're six days on market, maybe you need to reevaluate your marketing and pricing strategy. Um, you know, if you have something that... Apparently, Lake Monticello, if you're over six days on market... You're doing something wrong well, there's there. extremely it, limited supply in Lake Monticello uh, relative to historical time frames. Oh, yeah. I mean, I, Lake Monticello is an interesting... You know, that used to be a neighborhood where if I had somebody who was qualified to 250 and they had two children, we could say... Here's eight houses that we can go look at. There's yards. There's you know kids in the neighborhood. Median sales price Lake Monticello is three forty. I know. I sold a house to somebody in Lake Monticello in twenty eighteen for two forty, and then in April of last year I sold it for three hundred and seventy thousand dollars in four hours. So there's seventeen homes in Lake Monticello, but there's one, two, three, four. Five, six, as I'm counting them, are new construction, a.k.a. Yeah. paper houses that don't exactly exist. Yep. Mm-hmm. They're not physically there to buy. Yep. Mm-hmm. So, you know, we, when I moved to Lake Monticello back in 87, there was 600 houses, 300 of them were on the market. You know, very different, yeah. different, different world. Right. But, yeah, you know, there's, like I said, there's 17 on the market there's 27 pending so those who are smart can figure out an absorption rate there that's not a really good absorption that's a great absorption rate if you're selling yeah not such a great absorption rate if you're if you're buying yeah and we have we have 135 that have sold on on that at six days on market three hundred and forty thousand dollars three bedrooms and that uh, that six days could be artificial Excuse me? That six days could be artificial. I might list a house on Thursday and say, don't even call me and ask what you're offering until Monday. Talk about that's that. That's a five-day, you know, it's so a four or five days that. on market. Talk about what, what that actually means out in the, in the market. Yeah, so if I'm, if I'm listing a home, you know, let's say you're a buyer and you have lost five times. And so the sixth time you say... Well, I'm going to try to put this seller in a squeeze and put a tight turnaround on the, my offer. Mm-hmm. Um, I may not offer a great offer, but I'm going to say you got four hours to consider it. I'm rescinding my offer, which, frankly, it never really works. It's a pleasant phone call to the buyer's agent saying, we really appreciate your yeah, that's, offer. That's a, that's a losing strategy. Yeah, right? we really appreciate your offer, but you know, I've promised a bunch of folks they can come through. Would you be willing to just hold on with us? Of yeah. course, because people realize I've lost five. I don't want to lose six. Um, but as a listing agent, I might say, all right, if I can get more, the more offers I can get, the better. I know that the demand is higher than supply. I'm going to artificially hold this on the market. I'm going to openly publicize that we are not reviewing the offers until Monday. I'm going to allow all the people to come take a look that want to come take a look, and I'm going to guard against my seller being put in a squeeze to take less money than they would. And instead of somebody offering a mediocre offer, uh, and us ratifying it on the first day, um, I allow 20 people to walk through the house, collect all of their offers, um, and then I can have a better offer for my seller and do a better job for him. Now, it doesn't always work that way. You know, if somebody comes and just gives the farm for a house, the seller reserves the right to accept an offer prior to that. But in general, um, and if you have six offers in the first day, like I did, I didn't have six, but I had four extremely good offers in the first day on a house I listed last week and my seller said at this point 
we have four offers. We don't have, you know, a ton more showings lined up. Let's just make it known to everybody that I have four offers, and I'm going to accelerate the timeline to tomorrow. So I called every agent and said, mm-hmm. I want to let you know that this the situation is changing. I'm changing the MLS. But it, the market has been such to where sellers could dictate when they reviewed their offers. When I first got into the business, if you were on the market for three days and you got an offer, you might know this is the only offer I've been offered, and it might be ten thousand dollars less than the asking price. So, gentlemen, I will I would tell you Lake Monticello really only has four to six homes for sale. Yeah, because as I was you were speaking, tell I was looking at it. They they were the only number of homes that were under the average of twenty four to thirty days. And so, Every, the, yeah, if those, anything that's sitting over that is really not on the market, right? Because either the seller isn't willing to. To negotiate, go down with the price right? It's so therefore it's either overpriced, wrong location, right. wrong features, wrong condition, right. right? On that end of it, so but those six days could realistically be two days, if people. That's an interesting in, perspective. In the, you know, it's a counterfactual because we haven't gone back and looked at all the agent comments and spoken to each one of these agents, but in theory, especially if they were all multiple offer situations, a handful of those homes that that constituted four five days on market. Could have realistically sold in 12 hours if sellers were willing yes. to accept offers. And, and that's also exactly. Matthias assuming the real estate agent on the other side actually followed the rules right. and updated the, the MLS within 24 hours, right? Right, right. So there's a, sometimes a day or two lag time sure. one way or the other. Sure. But my God, we're talking six. It's not a lot. Not a lot. It's not a lot. Yeah. I agree with that a lot. I think sellers are getting better guidance from us realtors these days, um, meaning if we give the property more than two days, let's say Thursday to Monday or Thursday to to Tuesday, then we are increasing the quality of the offers, the number of offers maybe, and you're in a better position to choose the terms that most suit you as the seller. So Mm -hmm. I do remember when I started in 2021, oftentimes you would see a property coming on the market on Friday, and then tentatively it was agreed on to wait until after the weekend, but there was a very attractive offer and they took it. And then the statistics show one day on the market, two day on the market. Or zero. Yeah, and I think zero. the strategy is, is just better these days um, to not just take the first best offer and run. Oh, I agree with that. So Matthias, if, if, if Scott Morris is right, if everybody that I'm reading is right from all these PhDs, everything from Lisa Steravent to Lawrence Yoon to all these mm-hmm. prognosticators that are saying, you know, beginning of 2023, interest rates, 30-year mortgage interest rates are going to be back in the normal ranges of maybe, say, five-ish, have a five in front of it somewhere. Is, is Taylor right? Is, it, is the market, is product going to come on the market? Are people going to put their houses on the market? When they get there, are, they, are we going to open up inventory or are we just going to be staying where we are for a foreseeable future? Well, I think it will slowly change, not immediately. But if, if I was to put my house on the market right now, knowing what I know about the interest rates that the buyer of my home would be looking at, I would really go through that thought process and evaluate, do I have to sell? Um, Is it maybe better to stay where I am right now and wait until a little bit? If I as the owner of a property know the interest rates are down at 5%, um, then it means for me I'm more likely to find a good rate for the new home that I'm looking at. So my behavior changes. My approach to putting my home on the market will be a different one. And I think that that's a transition process, but I agree with Lawrence Yan. You mentioned him. I, I follow what he does on... And in, 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 in to put a little bit of a pin in that, he was the also guy that said we'd never go over 4% either. <laughs> so <laughs> I he learned one, his lesson. I've had a one-on-one conversation with him about Did that. You? Yeah, it'll never go over last yeah. September and... Bingo, we're at seven. So, you know, there's what? Lies and statistics and, you know. And, and look, we're not in the business of making predictions, uh, right? Yeah, we we kind of are, be though, Matthias. Bad advice to our clients. Um, 
it, it does pay off to look closely at the numbers, but, but I agree with you. It, it might look different next year, but I think it will be a slow transition. Well, you're going to see a staggered transition because what will happen is that when the rates drop, more people will be qualified, more people will be motivated to buy. That means demand's going to go back up. And so 300%. you're going to have more offers per home. And so 30 to 60 days after the demand increases, sellers will realize the demand is spiked more again. I might put my house in the market now. It's less punitive for me to get into something else at that point. Also, to your point about what I would classify decelerating appreciation here, if I'm a seller and I'm seeing 10 10% year over year, and then I'm starting to see 4 mm-hmm. and I'm coming to the realization I might be reaching a price ceiling on my home and that maybe it starts heading back down the mountaintop, which I'm, I don't think it will. Yeah, that's... I don't think it will, but as a seller who's not in the business, I might think... I, tons of people it. seem to th- you know, always tell me, well, we go up, we go down. Well, it's not that simple, but if I'm seeing the price ceiling and I'm seeing an increased demand and I'm thinking this is my max cash out of this, this essentially investment portfolio that I have that has walls and a kitchen, then I might cash that asset out at that time that I can surmise is the equilibrium point of my highest demand and my highest price appreciation. So I've got a 21, 22-year running spreadsheet that talks about valuation historically. And the reason I do that, it, it counts the time of great unpleasantness, yeah. which went down. Yeah. We're ranging, depending on the jurisdiction, anywhere between 3 to 6% year over year. Yeah. That is a normal yeah. appreciation. And when you start compounding that, mm-hmm. that, that makes huge differences. I had a real, I just throw this out for a conversation point. I had a really interesting kitchen table conversation with a seller yesterday. Um, that, you know, they're panicking. They, they need to sell their house. Life changes. Unfortunately, it's a divorce, right? Um, but there's a life change that's going on, right? And they got to sell their house. Mm-hmm. And not only do they have to sell their house, mm-hmm. we've got to get enough money for them so that one half of the couple can buy and the other half of the couple can buy. And the conversation was, well, we're just going to wait for interest rates to get lower. Forget about the whole divorce thing and they're living in the same house stuff. Um, my advice to them was no. Now's the time to do this. This inventory is, is not there because what's going to happen, in my opinion, when that interest rates go up, the buyer pool is just going to get deeper. Mm-hmm. And now you're going to be, you might find a buyer a little bit faster and may get a little bit more money on the sales side of it mm-hmm. but you're just not going to make you're just not going to find anything mm-hmm. so now's the time to do it that's true and then give a phone call when interest rates drop down refinance the rates whatever you got to do we can come up with a plan are you guys having that kind of kitchen table discussion at all can i just chime in yeah and, of course and say it says a lot about our market that the few sellers that are considering putting their house on the market um, are becoming sellers because they're going through a divorce. That's a huge think? thing now. Uh, I think it's a. Yeah. I think it's a COVID. I, I, I hear it every day. I can tell you. It's. I don't know if you guys are seeing it. The last six sellers were all divorces. Mm-hmm. I actually had one where a for, brother for and your clients. Yeah. Wow. And what they all have I had in common. one where a brother and sister were divorcing each other, which is a whole story in itself. <laughs> a brother and a sister? A brother and sister got deeded the house. The brother was living in the house. The brother wouldn't get out of the house. The sister sued the brother, and the judge ordered them to get out of the house, and we needed to sell that. Talk about crazy. Wow. But go ahead, Matthias. I interrupted you. Divorces. Yeah, no, I agree with you. We... We, we have a lot of clients that are going through divorces right now, and those are those appear to be the ones in the position having to sell. But what they all have in common, um, and that, that's my observation again, is that they're actually telling me maybe we want to wait a little bit until next year. So even though they're going through a divorce and there's obviously a hostile environment at home they're actually considering to wait before selling their home that that shows me as a realtor also a lot about behavior on the market right now so i'm, I'm thumbing through the 2023 national association of realtors where they do their 
buyers and seller analysis and you know, trying to do that and pay attention at the same time and have a conversation. Um, but if you st take a look at that, the, the first 10 of the 20 reasons are all life changes, right? Mm -hmm. yeah. Retirement, so mm -hmm. forth. That's why people are moving. Mm -hmm. It's not because... Kids. And then what happens, at least what we're experiencing, is that they have to move and, and they literally are trapped. Yeah. They thought it was a really great idea for 3%, which was cool at the time, mm -hmm. but now, because we're not at 3%, and it's a unicorn, gentlemen, we're never going back there. Yeah. Not in my lifetime, anyway. Uh, maybe in your lifetime, because you're like 18 or something. But, but in, in, in my lifetime, we're never going to go back there. We're going to see the normal, you know, according to uh, 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 Fred, Freddie Mac or Franny May, the, uh, since 1972, the average is like 7%. Yeah. Right? So we're going to be that, that way. <coughs> yeah. Want to jump in? I, mean, I just agree with you. I there think my you dad's orig original mortgage was like 15%. 18 for me. He, he kept refinancing mm -hmm. for less years and simultaneously reducing his monthly payment because the I, rate kept dropping at such a... We bought at 18 in, in the same house, refinanced it three times, yeah. down to about six. And I, I think you'll see mm -hmm. a good amount of people who have bought in the last 12 months refinancing at some point in the next 18 months. I don't know when that will be, and I'll leave that to Scott Morris with the numbers, but... That's the talking point, and and you know that's why it's important to work with people who are knowledgeable and not just snake oil salesmen, because you know mortgage people will tell you, don't worry about it, the numbers are good. Knowledgeable mortgage people will say, here's the prognosis, you can make an educated decision. I'll work with you however you want to. I'll work take with one you. step further. Yeah, that's the difference between hiring a guy like Scott Morris who's local that you can pick up the phone and call or yeah. any any actual local one versus uh, an online internet broker so, oh, so talk about that talk about how those things fall apart in a transaction because a lot of people they don't know that you know they're 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 buying and going I got this great interest rate and well, getting so under contract in the first place with an internet broker is a challenge talk about that yeah. well if I'm a if I'm selling the house and I'm looking at pre-qualifications from Scott Morris and an internet broker between two offers, all things being equal, um, this is going to be a lot easier with a local professional who is knowledgeable at the market than somebody in a call center who's uh, got so much red tape wrapped around what they're doing that they, they can't help you and it takes you forever to get in touch with somebody. Just jump in on this, either one of you guys. I had a real estate agent. I was... On the listing side, I had a real estate agent on the buying side. We literally had that. We had multiple offers, mm -hmm. right? Believe it or not, one of them was a local one, and everything else was was an was an internet. Prices were about the same, terms were about the same, and that's the one we chose. The other agents got very upset with me because you know, the ra rationale of my client making that decision based on our advice was, hey, we want to use a local real estate, a local lender. So if we have a problem, because you always will have a problem, there's always is a problem, that we have somebody to pick and call yeah. on, on that. Do you guys bump well, into The appraiser lists for internet realtors are all over the place. Out-of-market appraisers, people from Spotsylvania coming to appraise yeah. houses in Charlottesville. And that creates a massive problem when trying to reach value. I've had appraisers from out-of-market, I mean, do what should have been... Frankly, it was criminal because they cost my clients $40,000 of liquidity. And I reappraised the house myself and did a better job than that appraiser, just pulling comps and mm -hmm. sending them. But it was criminal what happened. Appraisers very rarely, once in a blue moon, will uh, listen when you, when you send across. Uh, you can test their valuation and they'll do a, they'll do a reevaluation. Mostly they think that it's a... It really undermines their professionalism if they reevaluate anything. You're questioning and, them. And you question them. So if you get an out-of-market appraiser on a in-demand house that you've had to make a competitive offer on and that you've not overpaid for because three other people offered $1,000 less than you, so the market has deemed the value there, you could have a real issue that could cause you to uh, lose the home if you're not liquid or to get in a pretty negative uh, equity position on paper and lose a lot of your equity. Uh, so you're representing the, the buyer or the seller in that transaction? Uh, the buyer on all of them. Really? Yeah. Well, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to let Matias jump in, but I'm going to give you a little coaching moment, mentoring moment on, on possible solutions. Oh, I, I, yeah, I've learned a few lessons on the way, but yeah. <laughs> yeah. 
But I would like to hear that lesson as well. Yeah, so um, we just recently helped our youngest daughter buy enrichment. Same exact scenario, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, appraiser came in. Mm-hmm. Um, it's closed now, so I can talk a little bit about it. I have permission yeah. from my daughter and son-in-law to talk about it. But, um, you know, it was a doctor's loan, right? Which is everybody thinks they're great. Yeah. Right? <laughs> In theory. In theory. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That word, theory. So what happened was is exactly that. They hired a, uh, an appraiser from out of the area that actually never did a drive-by. Excuse me, never did a walk-in on Wait, the property. How? Just did a drive-by. How was that even possible? They, yeah. was uh, roughly $50,000, $57,000 below. So, oh. so this was one of those deals where the seller, the buyer, in, in this case, uh, my, my daughter and son-in-law, agreed to a, an appraisal gap. Mm-hmm. So this was going to cost them a ton of money. And the way, I, the way I did it, guys, is I just renegotiated with the seller. We're in the deal already. It doesn't make any sense for us to walk away. If we walk away, then they got to go back on the market. they got to find another th- thing yeah, and so right. forth and so on. Right. Okay, guys, let us pivot to Scott Morris because that's what we did. Yeah, yeah. Right? We said, okay, give me another 30 days. Let me pivot to Scott Morris. Yep. Brought in Scott. And actually, the appraisal ended up 50, ended up thirty thousand dollars over yeah. the contract price. So yeah. it was almost like a hundred thousand dollar swing. Yeah. And they walked in it. They closed on it. They're happy. We had a party last night. We we got well. We wanted to in one of the position situations where my client had a forty thousand dollar deficit to the purchase price. The, the sellers were not that amicable, and it was wouldn't give you the time. No, they essentially. I you know they gave me about. I spent a week, uh, so, so say, how, contesting the appraisal. So how do, how do mm-hmm. you guys navigate this? I'm a buyer. Yeah. I sit down with you two guys, and I have this internet. Yeah. In that, well, in that case, I said to the, the buyer before we even looked at houses, you really probably shouldn't work with this person. Uh, but people like, you know, I'm never going to have more trust than a parent has. And it was a, a, refer, a referral from their parent. Yeah. to work with uh, that lender who was a national lender. Um, now, and I spoke with the parent. Um, and then when the con- when this situation happened, both the parent and the client said, well, gee, we wish we would have listened to you, but... Did they not blame you for that? No. Oh, good for you. They knew, because, I mean, I was pretty clear about it. And yeah. then, and then uh, and they, you know, it wasn't, um, wasn't my situation. Now, now you, I'm all, you know... Part of this job is like you're a sports coach. The blame comes on you sometime, whether it's your fault or not. Oh, yeah. And that's why it's really important to be clear. Part of those coffee or those uh, kitchen table conversations are hard truths. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm not a cheerleader or a yes man. I'm a realist, and you, part of what you're paying me for is to help you better understand the market, both the positives and the yeah, honest hard assessment. truths about it. Yeah, yeah. an honest assessment yeah. of your so, situation. One ex- so, go ahead. So back to that uh, question or that approach about um, internet lender versus a local lender. You know, when I have this kitchen table conversation with my client who chose me because of my local reputation sure. and because there's an in-person aspect to it, he chose me over Zillow, for example, which is the you know internet equivalent to to the online lender. Um, obviously, we're going to have a conversation about the value that we see in working with a local lender as well, mm-hmm. who knows the areas, who knows exactly which loan applies to which micro location that you spoke about. It is important. Oftentimes, those internet lenders don't make those distinctions, and they just suggest a loan that might not end up being the best solution. It's, it's, it's more simpler than that. You don't even know who the heck you're talking to oh, for yeah. one. Mm-hmm. Well, you don't talk it's, to the same faceless. person two times. So that's, 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 that's exactly right. Uh, it's, but it, it's interesting from, a, you know, I guess I've been doing this so long enough. If I really have a buyer that's absolutely insisting on an internet if they don't want to choose scott i get that right and that i think it's a mistake but if they don't want to that's okay you know if they're not going to work with a local reputable lender i probably not yona is going to yell at me for saying this but i'm probably going to say this is probably not a good fit yeah and you might want to find because i i know it's going to happen right it always happens when you get back 
back to the end of it. But we've got a, we got about a few minute, few more minutes left uh, of the time, gentlemen. I, I I told you it was going to move fast, and it is moving moving <laughs> fast. Um, it's there's there's going to be some roundtable topics that we're going to have to talk about. It's going to be really uncomfortable for us as real estate agents. And yeah. we kind of touched around the edge of it a little bit mm -hmm. today. Um, and, and we surely don't have time to get into it. Uh, but the long, not the, the, what's coming down the pike with these different lawsuits and these different yeah. DOJ things. So I, I don't want to get into that. But um, I just want to kind of put a put a bow around that and talk about the level of professionalism at the table. Mm -hmm. When you guys sit down with a buyer, how quickly do you get into a buyer broker agreement? When do you have that conversation with with them? Is it pretty quickly? Do you do you wait a little bit of time because there's a lot of confusion out there in the marketplace when that actually is supposed to happen? Well, I think we need to find a balance between those two extremes. On the one hand, I don't want a client to feel... You're pressuring them. The pressure because there's a document with a signature on it that binds him to me. I want him to be working with me because I'm good at what I do. And in order to show him that, I want to establish a relationship. So the question, yeah, I agree with that. It's, a, it's an important question. When do I present that listing agreement? Uh, it's, 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 a, it's a different question. Maybe try it a different way. Because we all have to, because of where the marketplace is now and where it's going, mm -hmm. we have to demonstrate our worth. Mm -hmm. right? Our value. Yeah. Our value. What, what is our value proposition to the client? Mm -hmm. Does, should it be on a piece of paper or, or in conversation? I think that's up in the air at the moment. But, I mean, I, I think I know you two gentlemen well enough to say this. You have that conversation not, not hey, you know, at the first two words out of your mouth, but at some point you have to have that conversation about how do you demonstrate your value and what you bring to the table, particularly on the buyer side. Does that make sense, that question? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah. I, I'm kind of a bad boy about this. I, I don't make people sign paperwork. Okay. Um, and I'm going to have to amend that practice as things change, like you were discussing. Yeah, I um, think it's coming down the road. We have discussions on value and um, and things like that but I mean frankly in my first conversation I tell people if you're dissatisfied with my performance fire me yeah absolutely I'm, I, I'm you know I'm not going to lock you and I get a lot of you know I'll have I had one client this year call me they looked up my website and they said you know I think we want to work with this guy and they said you know we had something signed with somebody but we didn't like them and we don't want to be working with them I said, well, you need to terminate your situation with them. But they've part I of their I technically can't talk to you yeah, now. Yeah, since you disclosed yeah. Part, it. part of their part of their frustration with that person was that they uh, just shoved a piece of paper in front of them without a value proposition. And so, you know, part of my value proposition is is, hey, I'm confident in my abilities. I'm more than happy for you to to speak with past clients and, uh, and interview them too. Um, now, there definitely is paperwork signed. Uh, there legally is required to be, but mm -hmm. but um, but part of it is... So I, I think the path the here, table. just to kind of, because we're, we're about ready to wrap up here, yeah. to put the path here is, you know, the way we do it, the way I do it, is this conversation we have. I'm trying to help a client. We're trying to get information to help a client one way or the other. We, we have that. But the moment you say, let's go look at a house... Yeah. That, that changes everything. That, that's when, when we need to make sure that there's a clear delineation, even if it's just for one house, mm -hmm. right, Matthias? Even if it's not forever, but before we walk into that house um, or before we go do that, we, we need to set our relationship. To, and, to and that's, that paperwork allows you to specify one single address correct. as the representation. Exactly. And so for anybody listening out there who is resistant to sign that paperwork, if you're looking at if if an agent slides a piece of paper across the table to you and it's open ended, so if yeah. it says TBD on the representation, don't agreement, sign that. Don't sign it and say, put you know, I want to look at you put this address of the house we are looking at. I'll evaluate your performance and as as we go through the house and then Bravo. if things are, seem to be working out, then we can talk about a longer agreement than that. Yeah, that's absolutely the best way to do it. You build your trust and so yeah. forth. You build your trust in the beginning. Okay, what do I need to do? You know, let's face it. The relationship's two-sided, right? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Right? You know, some... I'm requiring on the trust of the client, too. I need them to... 
I need them to be on board. It's a little, uh, when I was building custom homes, I used to tell the clients this, and it's a little bit back to the divorce thing is, is you know, we're going to enter into a six-month marriage. We yeah. did like 30, 40 units a year. We're going to enter okay. into a little mini marriage, and then when we're done and I hand you the keys and you hand me the check, we're going to kind of get a friendly divorce because now i got to help somebody else you know, or these other, other folks. And it's funny, particularly retirees from with funny accents like mine. You've got a great accent. Mine's funny. <laughs> a funny accent like, like, like mine. They were like, well, hold it. I thought we were best friends for life. But no, no, no. i gotta, I got I to gotta move on. But, um, yeah, so th- this whole conversation, and this is, you know, we're probably one to two years down the road. Yeah. But it's coming. It is, yeah. And, and, and we need to, as an industry, kind of get in front of it. Yeah. And take take a look at it. Yeah. Well, it's 11:25. Okay. Um, so I'm gonna kind of let you guys do a quick roundtable, wrap it up. Taylor, I'm gonna start with you. Tell you know, thank you for coming. Thank you for doing this. Thank you for sitting in Jerry's seat. You are much better looking than he is, <laughs> by the way. Uh, Jerry, and, don't listen to him. You're a beautiful man. Yeah, beautiful man. <laughs> yeah. So, anything you would like to to wrap up with? Uh, if you're having a tough time out there, just stay courageous. Stay on the path. If you're a seller, think critically about what you want to do. It could be a good time. Right now, I think for a buyer, your biggest consideration is, especially if the rates drop, what's your trade-off going to be? Is it going to be a short-run higher rate, or is it going to be a worse equity position? Um, and that's, and I can't answer that or question. Or you're going to have to settle for something that you not quite want because now the pool just got bigger. That's right. Got That's right. At a worse equity position, potentially, because you had to offer more over asking percentage-wise percentage yeah, than right I, now. I, I'm telling you, I think if we get back to five, we're back to what Matthias was talking about earlier. You know, we're doing multiple offers now if it's in the right location, yeah. right price, right features, right condition. Yeah. I think we're going to go back to, if it's anywhere, we're going to go ahead and do that. Yeah. What I would add on is there's a lot of frustration right now in the year. Yeah. And I encourage everyone to not just base their decision on headlines in the media. It's, it's always more nuanced than that. Just give us a call. As we just discussed, we're happy to talk about something before actually looking at a home. Sure. Just, it's, it's our job to actually give guidance based on the numbers that we are talking about right now. And so, so let's talk before we give up. So, gentlemen, thank you for joining me. Uh, Thank you for being on Real Talk with Keith Smith. Uh, On Wednesday, we're going to have Scott Morris, Woody Fincham, and Chris Fairchild. It's going to be a lively debate about uh, Fulvana County. And then on Friday, we're going to have um, uh, three Latinx agents sitting in in those those seats. I'm going to talk about the market from from that perspective. So, gentlemen, thank you very much. And uh, we'll see everybody on Wednesday. And, Jerry, enjoy your vacation. Enjoy your beach. Thanks for having us. Thank you. Thank you, gentlemen. Thank you. So, seriously, thank you for... Yeah, yeah.